Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Hey, Plant family. I'm Pastor Andrew, our campus pastor at our West Milford location. And I, I just want to welcome you online campus to our online Good Friday gathering. It's great to have you here with us. This is actually a special gathering because uh, not only do we have our plant online campus family here with us, but uh, we're joined uh, by some of our extended Alliance family from Alive Again Alliance Church. So I just want to welcome you, Alive Again Alliance. Thank you for joining us and uniting with us for this Good Friday online service. It's pretty amazing what technology allows us all to do together in this season where we can be united together for services like Good Friday uh, as we remember the death of Jesus and what he paid for on the cross. Uh, as we get into our message today, I just want to let you know, if you didn't already know, that we're going to be taking communion together at the close of our, our worship gathering here online. So if you've not already prepared your communion elements, the bread, the wine, feel free to just hit pause and go and get those things and, and prepare, uh, and we'll take communion together at the close of our uh, service today. Uh, we've been teaching through the Gospel of Matthew during the Lent seri- uh, season in a series called Come and See Jesus. And today we're going to come and see his agony. Now, agony is one of those words I, I feel like we don't use that much anymore. So I looked it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary and the definition was this. Intense pain of mind or body. Anguish, torture, the agony of rejection or the agony of defeat. And then it also said this, the struggle that precedes death. The struggle that precedes death. And it's this kind of agony that we are coming to see from Jesus today. So we're going to read together the story uh, of Jesus' crucifixion as Matthew tells it in chapter 27, verses 27 through 54. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out their entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again, and then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So, he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. And at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. And the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. And the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, This man truly was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we reflect on your death together today, as we come and see your agony, I pray for all of us here watching online that we would see in a new way how you meet us through this agony, what you want to say to us, and, and that we would come away knowing that you are near and that you are with us. Amen. Uh, like so many people over the last decade or so, I have been entertained uh, tremendously by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe some of you have been too. I remember the first Iron Man movie coming out and enjoying that. All the way through the latest uh, TV shows on Disney Plus, they have been really incredible to experience. The whole storyline and everything that happens with the superhero genre is just a lot of fun. I really never got into the comic books themselves. I'm not really a big comic book fan personally, but just loved the stories from uh, the MCU. And I think we love superhero stories because through them we get to overcome the worst uh, imaginable things that we could experience. And we never have to taste ultimate defeat through our superheroes. We kind of live vicariously through them. 
In fact, this is actually how the whole genre of superhero comics got started. I don't know if you know the story. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, they were two sons of Jewish immigrants escaping the horrors of Europe during World War II, and they created Superman, who was fighting Nazis. Captain America, who made his debut actually punching Hitler in the face, was also created by young Jewish immigrants. One comic book expert noted that this is the ultimate version of wish fulfillment. They and we can live vicariously through these characters who deal ultimately with evil and never have to endure true human suffering. And they in some ways are like gods that can handle all of our problems and keep us away from agony and suffering and we don't have to experience those things like we do normally in our world. But as entertaining as these stories are, we are still often left at the end of the day with pain, disappointment, suffering, and agony. In the last year, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us that we're not invincible. Uh, There just seems to be nothing a superhero could do to be able to spare us from the pain and the vulnerability many of us have felt in the last year. Believe it or not, uh, this wasn't that different from the world of Jesus in the pages of the book of Matthew that we just read. Jews and Greeks and Romans alike all expected their gods to be powerful, invincible, and unfamiliar with true suffering as It was clearly seen as Matthew depicted so many groups of people mocking Jesus, saying, if you really were God, you'd come down off that cross. These gods that they had in their mind, just like our superheroes, were the ones that would deal with evil and suffering for us. They wouldn't experience it themselves. In fact, to suggest that God would die on a cross would have sounded truly ridiculous to them at all. It even sounded ridiculous to Jesus' own disciples. However, God in Jesus did the unthinkable. He experienced agony and ultimate suffering. And I want to tell you today that this is quite possibly some of the best news we could hear. See, we think of the cross as a symbol of hope and ultimate victory, right? We're Christians, we, we celebrate when we see the cross, we sing songs saying we thank you for the cross, but uh, because we live in this world after the cross where it's this sign of redemption, a tool for criminal execution was turned into a, t- a symbol of hope. But if you wanted to tell a story of God coming to save us in Jesus' day, you would not have had him die on a cross. That's just bad for publicity. The disgust people felt towards this kind of corporal punishment was not simply because it was extremely physically painful and, and gory and gruesome, but it was actually because crucifixion was embarrassing. I came across a book a few years ago that I absolutely loved. It's called Crucifixion by Martin Hengel. And and if you're a history buff like me, it's totally worth your time. It's a very quick read. I think it's less than 100 pages. But it'll help you understand how people viewed crucifixion in Jesus' day. But in this book, Hengel shares the writings of many famous Roman politicians, poets, playwrights, and how all of them, without 
uh, exception. We're just totally mortified at even the suggestion that a person would be considered for crucifixion. It was absolutely grotesque to Romans, and they wouldn't wish it on their worst enemies. It was only reserved for those that they considered to be less than human, primarily slaves. This was the death of the slaves, the lowest of the low class, and the revolutionaries on the margin of society. No one that you thought was actually another person would be crucified. It was just inappropriate and debasing. And it was such a debasing and embarrassing method of execution, actually, Hengel writes, that on one occasion, when the Romans captured someone from a city they were besieging, they threatened to execute him by crucifixion. And the city was so mortified by the thought that one of their own citizens of their city would be crucified that they completely surrendered in that moment so as to spare this man from crucifixion. They could not bear the thought of one of their own being crucified. It was just unthinkable. Roman citizens actually in that day could not be crucified. In fact, this is why church tradition tells us that the apostle Paul was most likely beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. They wouldn't think of crucifying a Roman citizen, but he had to be dealt with in some way. And since he was a Roman citizen, that is the way that they decided to treat him. But the message of Jesus crucified crucified, not beheaded, not exiled somewhere. It wasn't just a, a message for us of God enduring a physically painful death, but it, it was of God enduring a humiliating, embarrassing death, and it carried with it all sorts of labels and assumptions that were not kind to the criminal executed. Crucified people were placed outside of cities on the main roads leading in and out of those cities. And for the random passerby that didn't know Jesus or what was going on, they would have just assumed he was another poor rebel or thief that the Roman authorities had gotten off the streets in their cleanup campaigns. They may have even thought, well, I'm really glad the Romans are keeping us safe and getting crime off our streets because we really need to be safe here as we're on our travels. They wouldn't know who Jesus was. They would have just seen the sign and known what it meant about the person or at least what they thought it meant about the person. Paul writes in Romans, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, he says, "The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved by it, it's the power of God." God dying on a cross seems to make no sense. It's foolishness. It makes even less sense when you consider not only the embarrassment of crucifixion in and of itself, but how gods were expected to behave. Justin, uh, one of the early church leaders in the first uh, centuries of the church, he, he actually references the ancient Greek and Roman gods who were known as sons of Zeus. They were ascended to heaven similar to the claims of Jesus. But as Justin notes in his writings, he says, in no case is there any imitation of crucifixion by these gods. They would not dare associate their gods with the most demoralizing spectacle on earth. And Hengel concludes by saying, it is the crucifixion that distinguishes the new message from the mythologies of all other peoples. And he goes on to say this, 
to believe that the one pre-existent son of the one true God, the mediator of creation and the redeemer of the world had appeared in very recent times in out of the way Galilee as a member of the uh, people of the Jews, this obscure people. And even worse, that he had died the death of a common criminal on the cross could only be regarded as a sign of madness. And he concludes by saying, the real gods of Greece and Rome could be distinguished from mortal men by the very fact that they were immortal. They had absolutely nothing in common with the cross as a sign of shame. And his point, and I think the point for us this Good Friday, is that God in Jesus, unlike the gods of Greece and Rome, does not distance himself from human suffering. In fact, he embraced it. He became sin, as the scriptures say. Not only did he become uh, human, he fully embraced the most debasing experience that humans can endure. And what's more, the other crucified people were mocking him, so he was the lowest of the lowest. And in his agony, in his struggle before death, he even risked his reputation by dying in the most disreputable way imaginable. No god of Greece or Rome or any superhero for that matter can say the same. We so easily love to fashion gods with power. They're indestructible. And we love having our gods shaped that way in our own minds because we wish we were all powerful. Like the Romans and the Greeks, we love to tell stories from a distant time, totally removed from the real world about people who would always overcome against all odds. In our own world, we're faced with uh, gods of money because we want to feel like we can provide whatever we want in our lives. We're faced with gods of power because we hate what we see in the world or don't like the way that things are going against us and we want to take control and exert our power on others. We pursue the gods of sex, anything to make us feel less lonely, less uh, out of control, less vulnerable, less disconnected. But unfortunately, this is not our story. What these false gods offer us is nothing but an illusion, and that should be especially clear for us in this pandemic season we've lived through. We actually, in reality, live stories of vulnerability, weakness, suffering, and even shame and embarrassment. And a God who cannot enter into a moment like this and just teaches us to escape the moment is actually irrelevant and unapproachable for us. It's unhelpful. No God like that can help us because they cannot empathize with what we've experienced and what we're currently experiencing. Jesus did not come to earth flexing his divine muscles as we would hope he would and as we would want him to. Instead, he did what the apostle Paul wrote in that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, God came and lived like us, like you and I. Frail, weak, vulnerable. He endured suffering, hardship, mocking, and embarrassment. So I'd like to ask you this as our time together draws to a close. What do you do with your weakness? What do you do with your vulnerability? Are you hiding it? Do you try and turn to the gods of escape like money or sex or power so you can feel invincible? Do you attempt to deny your own humanness by not acknowledging your own struggle? Do you try and keep those things private and think you can figure them out on your own? I'd like to lovingly suggest to you today that you'd be a bit foolish to do that. God himself became human and didn't consider equality with God something he should use to his own advantage. He was willing to embrace the full human experience, including suffering. So why would we try to avoid something God himself entered into? Is it painful? Yeah, absolutely. Is it comfortable? Uncomfortable? Of course. Nothing's comfortable about it. We're really a pain-avoidant culture, though, and it's easy for us to run away from suffering, from agony. But I'm inviting you today not to be afraid, not to be afraid of pain and suffering in your life, not, not to, to run when you feel powerless. I'm inviting you to rest and wait in your weakness to wait in your brokenness, to be honest about your struggle, to say, I'm lonely, I feel weak, I feel vulnerable, I feel scared, I feel helpless, I'm suffering here. I have real terrible, horrible grief that's occurring in my life and I don't know what to do. I'm inviting you to be honest about what's going on. Don't try and run to these false gods that try and make you feel more powerful than you really are. Instead, come and see. Jesus and his agony. Come and see what he entered into for you because he loves you. The theologian and historian N.T. Wright, he answers the question, where is God in the midst of suffering brilliantly when he writes, the cross of Jesus Christ is the sign and the assurance that the God who made the world still loves the world. And in that love, groans and grieves. In your grief, in your groaning, God is with you. He's with you. He's not unfamiliar with your pain. So I I invite you to lay down those irrelevant gods who can't relate to your human experience They have no idea what you're going through. And come and see the agony of the one who can. 
as we remember his agony, we're going to come together now and, and take communion. So if you have your elements, you can join me together today. And we remember the agony that he endured in his body, that he was beaten, whipped. There was a crown of thorns put on his head. He was pushed around. He was mocked. He was whipped severely. A spear went through his side. Nails were put into his hands and feet. And his body was held on a cross, hanging there in such a precarious way as to force him to suffocate to death. And it's this body that we see and we remember. And we take and eat his body. And in the same way that we take his body, the bread, together, we take the cup. And I, we remember the words that Jesus said on the night he was betrayed when he said, this is the cup of the blood of my new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And we remember the blood that flowed from his side, the blood that came from his hands, the blood that poured down his back after being whipped, the blood that he sweat out of his pores when he was praying in Gethsemane, the blood that poured from his head from the crown of thorns. We remember that this is the blood of his agony, his suffering that paid for my life and for yours. Take this in remembrance of him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, today as we reflect and see your agony, we allow ourselves to be open and honest about our own struggles, our own weakness, how difficult this year has been, and for many of us beyond this year, our lives have been. But Jesus, would you give us a vision of your agony so that we see we're not alone in our suffering and our suffering and weakness isn't something to try and overcome through false gods, but it's something to bring to you the one true God who suffered with us and for us. And so we sit with our grief, we sit with our weakness, we sit with death itself and know that you are with us. Amen. Plant family, Alive Again Alliance family, it's been so good to have you with us for our Good Friday gathering here in our online campus. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. It's been an honor to speak with you. God bless you grace and peace. It was great having you with us today. 
We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.